Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everyone, to episode 142 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek, and today we're going to discuss the early takeaways from the 2018 NBA Conference Finals. We'll talk about the East between the Celtics and the Cavaliers and the West between the Warriors and the Rockets. We are two games into each series, so we'll discuss what's happened so far, what we expect to see moving forward, and how our predictions uh, have changed from the beginning of the series. Before we get underway, reminder that you can follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find our Twitter handles, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We'd love any feedback. And we're now being hosted on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, so check them out on Twitter at AlmightyCasts. Joining me today, as always, is my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen. How's it going, Mort? Well, it's going well personally, Brian, but um, I would like to send my thoughts out to Santa Fe High School in Galveston. Hey, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, it's pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Texas, after today's massacre, uh, another massacre. Um, yeah. We've had... Uh, a tendency you and I to be a little bit political on this podcast. I'm not. I don't think we should go into it way too much. But at this point, there's just not. There's there's just not any excuse left for for a lack of gun control. So I yeah. don't know. I don't know more. I think thoughts and prayers are really going to go a long way. Oh, that's right. I'm sorry. I I forgot that those things are apparently a thing that's real. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. they. They've made a huge difference so far. But yeah, we are obviously we are saddened and horrified. But by what's happening, no kid should have to go to school and worry about not coming home. So no, no. And I'm sorry to to open up on such a bleak note. It's just yeah. I I have a son. Yeah. He's about to turn seven, and and you know as a parent. Those type of things, they, they scare the living bejesus out of one. And I mean, I know we haven't had a school shooting in Denmark uh, since 1994, I feel like. I think, I think it's 1994. And even before then, it was like, you know, I don't, I don't even know if we had one before that. So there is that element of, oh, yeah, you're Shakur here or whatever. But the world's changing, and that's kind of frightening in the, in the way it's changing, at least in the States right now. So I'm kind of hoping that doesn't, you know, spill over to you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, me too. 
Um, it, uh, there's no there's no good way to transition from that to basketball talk, but we are an NBA podcast, and we've had a couple games of the conference finals that we do need to break down today. Uh, so we're going to start with the Eastern Conference finals between the Celtics and the Cavaliers. We are recording this on Friday, so game three is on Saturday. Um, so far, not much to write home about if you're a Cavaliers fan. The Celtics are up 2-0 in the series. Oh, game- wait, no, there's a lot to... I'm gonna. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but there's a lot to write home about. Because if you're if you're rooting for the Cavs, you write several levels home asking for help. <laughs> Anyone in the state of Ohio who can actually shoot a basketball, come you, help us. You start penning LeBron's "Why I'm Leaving Cleveland" letter. He's going to need oh, yeah. a lot of help. Oh yeah. Oh, Lee that. Jenkins is working on that right oh, now. Yeah. Pencil <laughs> on his ear. It's it's going down. Yeah. So game three was just a, or game one I should say was an absolute blowout. One hundred eight to eighty three. LeBron didn't even play that well. The rest of the supporting cast was completely missing in action. They, I mean, the Celtics did their Celtics things and, you know, play a well-rounded game. Marcus Morris backed up his trash talk about being the best LeBron stopper not named Kawhi Leonard and actually played a really well, uh, played a good game. And then game two, you know, LeBron comes out with the counterpunch you expect, 21 points in the first quarter. Uh, He runs into Jason Tatum's shoulder uh, toward the end of the second, has to go back to the locker room, has a strained neck. He comes back, he ends with a 42-point triple-double, so you can't really pin the loss on his shoulders. Kevin Love also played well, 22 points, 15 rebounds. Kyle Korver had a big second quarter. Aside from that, though, again, supporting cast, missing in action. George Hill, J.R. Smith, 1 of 11, three points Mm -hmm. combined. Celtics walk out with a 107-94 victory. They now head back to Cleveland for Game 3. I mean, if you're a Cleveland fan, more there's not much to have hope about. You know, they, they now have to win four of the next five. I think your best, your best hope at this point is that the Celtics have been lights out at home this postseason. They're now 9-0. and On the road, though, they're only 1-4. and their only victory so far came against the Sixers uh, in Game 3, which they needed to go to overtime for. So, you know, there is hope that, you know, conventional wisdom says role players play better at home. Maybe J.R. Mm. Smith and George Hill wake up. Maybe Terry Rogier and Aaron Baines stop hitting every three-pointer they throw <laughs> up there. Uh, but, more if you're a Cavs fan, you know, do you expect the supporting cast to give no. LeBron and Kevin Love more help. Like, no. What, what happened? You know, like in Toronto, that Toronto yeah. series, like they all shot 60% from three. What's happening that they're so bad right now? I think that was momentum. Look, I mean, the entire Cleveland supporting cast knew that LeBron had Toronto by the balls. <laughs> I mean, I, I think literally even, I mean, I I think they knew. I think they wrote that hype. I think they wrote that feeling of superiority where they just knew, oh, you know, we can play without pressure because King is going to take us home. Mm. I mean, that, that was just, that, that was a different kind of identity. I think each NBA series, in, NBA playoff series, has an identity. Mm-hmm. And the Toronto uh, series was just one of those, after game one, you could just sense. Yeah. Like, all the energy just left these Raptors like ghosts. It was just amazing. And... Then, obviously, LeBron took over. I think everybody wrote that. And now they're against Boston, where 
no ghosts exist. And they have a team-oriented game plan. They have an Al Horford who is wrecking everything. And on Cleveland's side, you have Rodney Hood? No. (laughs) You know it's a good sign when a reporter after, I think it was after game one, uh, he was like, why are he asked Ty, Tyron Lue, why are you still like, playing Rodney Hood? And Ty Lue, his only answer was like, because I want to. But it was like, <laughs> the reporter was basically like, Rodney Hood has been terrible, really, throughout the entire playoffs. And Ty Lue said, well, like, yeah, he had 11 points tonight. Yeah, on 5 to 12 shooting, and he was a minus 8 mm. in game 1. And then... So, yeah. Yeah, well, at game two, the same, you know, he had two points on one of two shooting in 11 minutes, a minus seven. Rodney Hood has actually had this problem before. This mm-hmm. year, he has a PER, playoff PER of 4.7. That's identical to last year in the playoffs for the Jazz, also wow. 4.7. So, Rodney Hood has played 23 playoff games. He nears 500 career minutes in the playoffs. 4.7 PER, a true shooting percentage of under 44. Man. So, this is going to cost him a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. A lot and a lot of money. Like, at this point, I, I don't even know what kind of exception you give him. You don't give him raw cap space, you give him no. an exception. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, you give him the mid-level at most. Oh, yeah. But even, yeah, even that, I mean, it's wild. Like, I, I thought, heading into this season, I thought he was going to be in line for not quite what Gary Harris got. He got, like, four years, 70 guaranteed, and I think he can go up to like 84 or so. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought Hood was going to be somewhere in the four-year, four 55, four-year, 60 million range. Now, yeah, I mean, between just how bad he's been in the playoffs and also the little tantrum he threw at the end of Game 4 of the Raptors series where they, like... He refused to play, um, which he brushed off as like, no, just give the other guys an opportunity. But it's like, all right, Rodney, you're you're salty that you're not in the <laughs> you're rotation. You're one of the guys who needs the opportunity. <laughs> right, yeah. And like, at this point, I mean, he just hasn't, you know, he played 532 minutes for Cleveland during the regular season. Like, this team mm-hmm. needs all the time it can get to get used to one another still. Like, they don't have chemistry, and it's still readily apparent. Like, Ty Lue is still throwing out lineups that didn't play together during the regular season or played minimal minutes together during the regular season. Like, he's right. he's still searching for answers just because, he's, you know, they had to cobble this team together on the fly not once but twice. Like, at the beginning of the season after the Kyrie trade, and then they blew up their entire team again at the trade deadline. Whereas the Celtics, you know, yeah, they lost Kyrie, but, like, Otherwise, Hayward went down in game one. Like, they've been working with the same main guys of Tatum, Brown, Horford, uh, Marcus Smart. Like, all of those guys know their roles and are playing it exceptionally well. So, looking at the Cleveland supporting cast once again, <laughs> I just want to point something out here. Mm-hmm. George Hill is averaging 30.8 minutes a game. So, basically, 31 minutes a game. Uh-huh. And for the series, he's averaging four points, one rebound, a half assist, and one block. Like, I I have never seen a guy play 62 minutes over two games and and have this little to show for it. Yeah. Like, he has eight total points, (laughs) two rebounds, and one assist Uh. in 62 minutes. 
And then you combine that with J.R. Smith, who in this series has a grand total in 56 minutes of four points and four rebounds and two assists. Yeah. Those two would have to have huge games at home mm-hmm. for Cleveland to turn this series around. And they'll have to continue that trend in Boston. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's that's the problem. It wouldn't totally shock me if... I mean, I, I kind of expect Cleveland to win game three, and then that sets up basically game four is like, is this series going mm. five or is it going six or seven? Because if they right. lose game four, they're, they're getting knocked out in five. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it just it, it feels like they just don't have... They still, I mean, through no fault of their own, like the Kyrie trade just so clearly did not work out in their favor and they were trying to get the right personnel all year and they were just working with limited chips after the Kyrie trade but much like Boston did to JJ Redick and Marco Bellinelli you know they're hunting out Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith when those guys are on the floor they're hunting out Jordan Clarkson when he's on the floor like they they are actively just targeting those guys and like Mm. Jalen Brown his eyes like gets so wide open when he sees that Kyle Korver is guarding him because he's just like, all right, I'm just going to go one-on-one. I'm going to destroy him. Like, get me switched onto this guy. It's over. So, it, you know, oh, yeah. Boston, as they showed in the Philly series especially, like, they're so well-disciplined and they, they're, they're so eager to exploit mismatches and Cleveland just doesn't have the personnel to guard them effectively. Like... You know, they, they moved Tristan Thompson into the starting lineup for game two, which I think was smart, and I'd expect to see that again moving forward. Um, just because, you know, Kevin Love stands no chance against Al Horford. It's, you know, it, he just can't, it, through no fault of his own, it's just that there's no chance. And you need to at least somewhat slow down Al Horford or you have no chance in this series. But does Tristan Thompson do that, though? Because here's the thing. Thompson is still not a shot blocker. I know right. that he has great positional defense, mm-hmm. but let's not pretend like people don't look at that shot blocking stat. Like yeah. if a team knows that that's not a shot blocker, they go in on it yeah. regardless. Yeah. And Al is just one of those guys who's who are so clever at manufacturing shots on his own, mm-hmm. or or and not forcing stuff. I don't think it's kind of. I think you utilize Tristan Thompson more on switches mm-hmm. and on help defense. Mm-hmm. I don't think in isolation against Al Horford, he does anything. I mean, the only... I think you're right. Like, he's not... Obviously, he's not a good shot blocker. And, you know, stopping Al Horford is possible. You know, he, he doesn't do that necessarily. I think he makes life more difficult on Horford than anyone else on the Cleveland roster though which again it's not saying much I know again it speaks to like the roster construction or the poor roster construction of Cleveland like they just don't have the personnel to match up well with the Celtics team and we you know we said that going into this series we said like defensively especially Boston has so many of these like versatile wings with a Tatum a Brown a Marcus Smart a Marcus Morris that they have so many guys they can throw at LeBron but you know, you're only putting one or maybe two of them on at a time. So, like, that means some of those guys are going onto a Kyle Korver or a J.R. Smith or a George Hill. And that's mm. making life really tough on Cleveland's supporting cast. Like, people are asking what's so different about 
you know, the Raptors series. Like, why couldn't the Raptors do this? And why did the supporting cast go off against, you know, against the Raptors? Well, because the Raptors have OG, who they stuck on LeBron. But other than that, like, DeMar DeRozan is not a great defender. I mean, he's fine. He's passable. But, like, he's, they just, they don't have the same type of personnel. Or they weren't playing that. I mean, they switched, they, you know, when they had Jonas Valanciunas in the starting lineup for the first three games, like, they, they just weren't playing their optimal mm. guys against what Cleveland was doing. Boston, on the other hand, has. Like, they didn't they didn't care that Tristan Thompson moved in the starting lineup. They didn't adjust by putting Aaron Baines in. They just stuck with what's working for them, and I think they're going to continue. And I mean, unless Cleveland wins game three, really, unless Cleveland win game three and four, I'm going to guess, even if they win game three, they're not going to put Baines in the starting lineup. I just think they... They're confident that their their five guys match up well no matter what Cleveland throws at them. And remember when we were actually pretty high on the amount of different players Toronto could put on LeBron? Yeah. Well, yeah. they tried it. All of them tried it. <laughs> right. <laughs> it didn't right. seem to work. So I'll be eating that crow. But yeah, you're right. Boston just has the personnel. They have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart. Marcus Morris, you you can just rotate so many high-caliber bodies onto him. I mean, compared to to Toronto, it's just, it's a complete joke. And it's, I think we went into this series going, you know, just slow down LeBron. Mm -hmm. Slow down LeBron and and let the ball move around, let the role players, you know, beat you. Mm -hmm. I think they've done that. And then I think, in addition to that, the role players for Cleveland have just not delivered. Yeah. Like, it's so if that trend is continued, this could be a four-game series theoretically. Yeah. Not that I think it will be. I think getting home court in the next two games is going to be vital for Cleveland. And, and Lord knows, George Hill cannot continue to perform this way. I just can't imagine. So neither would J.R. Smith. Right. But it's it's really different to see. Someone just target LeBron specifically instead of always going, oh, let LeBron get his. I always thought that was a dumb idea mm-hmm. because when LeBron gets his, things usually go right. This time around, like he had to exit the game, mm-hmm. but like his twenty-one points in the first quarter, like they were up, like they right. were on the way to go. You know, everyone was on Twitter was going, oh, one-one, mm-hmm. like one-one at that point. Mm-hmm. The shoulder happened, then he came out and he was a little bit sore and stiff, mm-hmm. like. <laughs> I don't even know how he finished with 42 with that body right there, but he could have easily had 50, 55, and then it would have been a different game. Mm-hmm. Just like I said before this series, just write on the blackboard or whiteboard or whatever. Keep LeBron under 30 by any means necessary. So let's talk about adjustments that we would hope to see from Cleveland in Game 3. Otherwise, this is, as you said, going to be a short series. The first question I got to ask is mm. much like the Sixers did in the second round series, the Cavs are just bricking a lot of open shots. They have an effective right. field goal percentage of 48.6 on what NBA.com deems as open looks. So that's a defender within four to six feet. 38.8% on wide open looks in which no defender is within six feet. Yeah. So do you think this is just a matter of them missing good shots and like we. Again, now that they're going home, we should expect this to regress to the mean? Or is there, like, some... Did Brad Stevens cook up some sort of, like, 
Space Jam magic juice <laughs> that stole everyone's ability to knock down an open shot because the Sixers had it too. It's wild. Yeah, no, the the open shots are just unfortunate. That that's just misses. I don't expect that to continue. Mm-hmm. But I also don't expect Cleveland to to come out and have a game where they just you know become ridiculous and end up with like sixty five percent from downtown mm-hmm. and not against this defense. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Look, look, their true shooting percentage for the series, Cleveland's, is 48.6. That That is such a low number. And and to overcome that, just to get it up to, like, you know, middle of the pack, which is, like, 55, 56, uh-huh. that would require, like, two games at least of just epic proportions of shooting. I yeah. don't think they get that. Yeah. I think they might have a J.R. Smith break out one game, you know, scoring 17, 18 points. Mm-hmm. George Hill will join the action like 14, 15 one time. Maybe that's enough to take a, a game, maybe even two. But, like, I, are you confident that Cleveland can find a recipe overall that will take St- Brad Stevens' game plan away for four games? Because I'm not. No, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, I wrote this for uh, B-Ball Breakdown after... Tuesday, and I'm going to have another article about this on Monday from LeBron's perspective. But, you know, even coming into this series, I said, if you are not a Cleveland fan and you are hoping LeBron leaves Cleveland this summer and joins your team, whether you're a Lakers fan or a Sixers fan or a Rockets fan, whatever, you needed to hope this was a competitive series. And you needed to hope that basically you needed to hope for exactly what's happening. Like, LeBron has to be sitting here down 2-0, coming off of a 42-point triple-double, saying like, shit, man, if if I could throw that at them, if I could throw that type of a haymaker at them, and they could still withstand it, what happens next year when Kyrie and Gordon Hayward come back? Mm. Like, the, my team can't beat the, this depleted version of these guys? Like, where, I mean, the number eight pick is not going to change, you know, it's not going to equal or even outweigh the impact of a Kyrie Gordon Hayward next year. So no, I, I think this I think this Cleveland roster is fundamentally flawed, which you know, we, we all knew that going into the playoffs and that it, they showed it against Indiana. They got very hot against Toronto and we all thought like, okay, all is well again. LeBron's just gonna carry this team because LeBron is that good. And like LeBron is that good. I mean I think we both picked the Cavs going into this series because we, we, we just put our faith in LeBron James, which, you know, fair. Like, he's made seven straight finals. He's carried really bad teams to the finals before, not only in 2007, but, you know, even some of those Heat teams. Like, outside of Wade and Bosh, he really carried a bunch of, like, random ass scrubs and role players. Like, <clears throat> Yeah, that last year. Yeah. Yeah, even the first year. I went back and looked the other day. Like, they, it was not... Oh, yeah, with Mike Miller as yeah. probably the best player alongside the big three. Yeah. Right. Like, it, you know, they, he's used to this, and he's done it before, and it, I'm not going to rule it out. Like, I, they, it very well could be a series after game three or after game four if LeBron goes nuclear, if their role players get hot at home, if Boston cools off. Like, God damn it, Aaron Baines, how? Like, how? He hit four three-pointers... Throughout like his entire career, I think up until the playoffs, now he has ten in the playoffs. Mm. What like, what in the blue hell? Well, we've spoken about this before. I know it's just it's it's so absurd. (laughs) 
It's so <clears> goddamn <throat> Steven saved him. Uh, apparently. But of like, course he did. He was 3 of 21 from 3 during the regular season. He is 10 yeah. of 20 during the playoffs. Like, this was a wrinkle. This yeah. was a wrinkle. I mean, <laughs> he was rope-a-doping everyone. Oh, man. Look, I think Brad Stevens has a lot of tricks up his sleeve, not for now, but for for the, for the finals. Yeah. I think we there is something we haven't seen yet. Oh, I, I'm sure. I mean, it wouldn't totally I mean, shock me. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, to your point, Wirt, I don't think, it, barring, like, I, I mean, what the hell? Even, like, LeBron had a 40-point triple-double. I was going to say, like, barring a LeBron eruption, but, like, he can't do much more than what he did in game two. Like, he almost outscored the cat, the Celtics by himself in that first quarter. And, you you know, maybe we're looking at this series differently if he doesn't hurt his neck and he, he plays the whole game healthy. Like, I think there were at least some questions as to whether he may have gotten a concussion during that collision. You know, he did get cleared, and we haven't heard anything since, so... We have to assume he didn't, but you know he he definitely looked less aggressive after he mm. afterward he was settling more for jump shots in the second half, which is not a critique of like his you know I'm not trying to be a Skip Bayless here and say he's like soft, oh no 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 I know it's just you know that's yeah, that's just obviously right this is just <laughs> that makes, would be dumb <laughs> right right it's just that the broad isn't tough right 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 yeah I mean Mark Jackson said that the other day which is absurd. Like Kobe yeah, well, that's or MJ smart. would have played through this. You go get back yeah. on the floor and win. Fuck yeah, off. That's Mark, Mark Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. I, is, look, I'm ashamed to share a birthday with Mark Jackson. That's how that's how you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean, I I just think the amount of guys who can like the the scheme is so good in Boston and the fact they have so many guys who can just switch defensively. Like mm-hmm. it's it's very difficult to find mismatches against them, outside of LeBron just doing what he did in Game Three against Toronto and in the first quarter in Game right. Two here. Like he, you know, sometimes he goes nuclear, and Boston's just gonna have to live with that. But otherwise, you know, as long as they stay defensively stout on the rest of that supporting cast. You know, it's feeling more like you know. I, I would right now revise my prediction to Boston in five. <clears throat> I could get behind that. I, I want to add something because when LeBron went nuclear in, in the first quarter, he, his shots were not you know badly contested. They were mm-hmm. greatly contested. Right. So I think Brad Stevens, like you said, he'll live with you know greatly contested shots going in. Yeah. Like, he had a hand in his face on so many of those jump shots. Right. Where he just went, okay, look, he's just making them right now. There's nothing you can do, but at least at the, you know, he he, he worked for him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like he just stepped into, why, well, he stepped into a few open J's, but, like, for the vast majority, like, he had to fight to get a shot off. And that's going to fatigue him. That's also going to, to kind of draw him in a little bit, maybe bait him a little bit. And I, I think that's just... A pretty good trade-off. Like, Brad Stevens is going to be fine with that. Like, okay, he goes nuclear for, like, one quarter. That's fine. We can live with that because then he goes, he reverts back to being, you know, normal LeBron. Mm-hmm. Like, he'll look for the pass. He'll also take opportune times as, as shots. But if those other guys can't make their shots, he's not going to force the issue because LeBron is a smart player. He's not going to just drive aimlessly into the paint for no reason, you know? Right. So, and in that point in time, Stevens makes a point. 
get to the basket. They don't have any shot blockers. Like, go mm-hmm. on the offensive, my dear Bostoners. Go get it. Yeah. And then you just stretch that lead a little bit, and then you need another explosion from LeBron. He probably delivers on that. But still, it's like that that <laughs> that margin in the point total is so small that Boston can come back again. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Toronto, they just could not facilitate offensively. They could not make anything happen offensively. Yeah. When LeBron was on, it took every ounce of energy out of them, both offensively and defensively. Yeah. Boston, like... Okay, fine. We're not going to be bothered by this. We're going to play our game. Offensively, right. we're going to scramble the hell out of everybody and give Jalen Brown wide open corner threes. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, it's it just works. And yeah. and you've and you kind of feel a little bit that the mentality mentality that they have coming into this series is like we don't care. Mhm. Like, you know, remember when we talked about with the Sixers everything is gravy after yeah. making the playoffs? Yeah. Boston is playing with house money to the point now where they're just like, we don't care. Right, right. We don't yeah. care. And I, I think you're right about, you know, especially compared to the Toronto series where Toronto, you know, has built this up all year. Like, we need to overcome our playoff demons against Cleveland. Where, yeah, you're right, Boston. Not only do these young guys have, you know, they I guess Jalen Brown and company last year got swept in the Eastern Conference Finals by them. But, like, Jason Tatum's never played against LeBron in the playoffs before. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't... He's too young to know what to expect, which works in his favor. I mean, yeah. also, like, the Cavaliers' defense sucks. And they, like, Boston knows that. They're not... If they were going against a top-five Cavs team on both ends of the court, this is, you know, it's a possibly different series. But Cleveland is 29th in defensive rating this year. Like... Boston knows if it just runs with purpose, like runs mm-hmm. its offense with purpose, it's going to get easy shots, which it has throughout the entire series. Like to your point about, you know, Cleveland's true shooting percentage being so horrible, Boston's at fifty six point one percent. Yeah, like they're they're just playing well on both ends of the court. I think it 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 sounds so reductive to boil it down to that, but like Cleveland's not playing good, not playing good defense at all. And then, you know, you had LeBron James basically carrying your offense, and Kevin Love, you know, woke up a little bit in game two. But aside from that, no one else is playing good offense either. So one team is playing well on both ends of the floor, and the other is not playing well on both ends of the floor. You wouldn't expect anything but a 2-0 series. Yeah, <laughs> you said it. And also, just this is kind of frightening. I looked up Terry Rochier. He's shooting just 18% from downtown in this series. That's mm-hmm. going to bounce back to normal as well. Yeah. So Boston have has areas as well where they can, you know, sort of come back from a little deficiency. Mm-hmm. Uh, so before we move on, more, what would be your updated prediction for this series? Oh, Boston in six, I think. Ooh, okay. And, and you know why I say six? Because if I say seven... Yeah, I can't go against LeBron. That's fair. I I can't imagine him him getting closed out in Cleveland, but I actually I totally could do that because that's what they did in 2010, right? I when, think I think so. Yeah, because I I remember him like ripping his jersey off before he even got like off the court, and that was the last moment you saw LeBron James in the Cavaliers uh, jersey. Actually, yeah. Oh, I don't even remember if it was Boston or it was at home. Either way, though. Like I could imagine that being at home because the supporting cast, if they yeah. don't, you know, rise to the challenge. I mean, LeBron will go out on a high note, like fifty-five. Yeah, I don't care. Right. 
but everyone else. And also, just quickly, everyone was like, oh, Kevin Love has bounced back. And he's like, he's uh, this, the Kevin Love of old, now LeBron has his help. Mm-hmm. No, that's not how it works. It's not one guy. Mm-hmm. You don't, you, I mean, look, every star, like franchise player has his guy, his right-hand guy. Mm-hmm. And that's you, you where you require a certain amount of production. But that's not the point. Like, the point is the whole team has to step up. People going like, oh, Kevin Love stepped up. Now it's game over, Boston. Or yeah. game over, Toronto. Like, yeah, fair. It was game over, Toronto. But that was not because of Love. I mean, that's fine. I, I'm glad to see Kevin step in or step up. Mm-hmm. But everyone else. Yeah. You know, is missing in action. It's not enough. Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and even if like George Hill steps up and J.R. Smith doesn't, like, that's still not enough. You need to have four or five guys mm-hmm. really yeah. step it up for the rest of the series. And yeah. I just wonder, like, the percentages of that happening. Like, is that even feasible at this point? No. Having four or five of those guys step up at the same time and not sporadically like spread out? No, I, right. I don't. I and don't then- think it is. Four times in seven games, or four times in five games. Exactly, four yeah. times five games. Right. Like, yeah, you're right. Like, uh, one of them will probably have a good game, or two of them will have a good game in game three. But will four of them, and then will four of them have a good game in game four, and right. so on. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the fact we both switched to Boston says it all. That Boston should be very much considered the favorite in this series until until we see otherwise but <laughs> it'll be fun and then LeBron is gonna yeah. shut us up right it'll be fun to revisit this in two games when the yeah. Cavs hold home court and we all look like idiots <laughs> but alright right, let's move on to the other side of the playoff bracket the actual de facto NBA Finals Warriors Rockets mm-hmm. split at 1-1 the Warriors took game one because Kevin Durant did Kevin Durant things 37 points Clay Thompson had 28 James Harden had 41, but much like LeBron in Game 2, the rest of James Harden's supporting cast did not show up. I mean, Chris Paul had 23 points, 11 rebounds, but P.J. Tucker was 0 of 3. Trevor Ariza, 3 of 8. Eric Gordon had 15 points on 6 of 13 shooting, so they lost Game 1, 119-106. Game 2, pretty much the polar opposite. The supporting cast came through in droves 27 points from eric gordon 22 from pj tucker on eight of nine shooting 19 from trevor Ariza on seven of nine shooting harden actually wasn't i mean efficiency wise he had 27 points but he only shot nine of 24 overall three of 15 from three this didn't matter one bit the rockets win 127 105 so now they're heading back to the bay area for the next two games uh Mort, I mean, the big question coming out of Game 2, I think, at least what a lot of people have been talking about, is Steph Curry. Uh, he has just not shot all that well in this series so far. He's only 2 of 13 from 3-point mm-hmm. range, which is just very yeah. much not Steph Curry-like. I mean, again, super small sample size, so we don't know whether it's worth panicking about, but... You know, you do have to factor in. He's still working his way back from that grade two MCL sprain. So, Mort, how worried should the Warriors be about Steph Curry, if at all? If at all, slightly. Mm-hmm. Slightly. I mean, look, it's Steph Curry. Yeah. He's not going to continue shooting 15% from free. Yeah. Uh, the thing is, though, if he, move, he seems to be moving a little bit slowly, a little bit cautiously. 
Mm-hmm. And I think Houston has just taken advantage of that. They're attacking him on the pick and rolls. They're trying to really get at him. Mm-hmm. And it's working right now. So I'm, I'm expecting them fully to just keep that trend up. But I also expect Curry to feed off the home crowd a little bit mm-hmm. and try to get some shots down very early in the first quarter. It wouldn't even surprise me if the first shot of the game, if they win the tip, is Curry taking like <laughs> some ridiculous three. And if that goes down, every concern is out the window because then he just feeds off everything and, and shuts everything out. Yeah. Um, I think it's in a, li- a little bit in his head. But what a luxury Kevin Durant has become right now. Yeah. I mean, look, if if no Durant, Golden State would be down 0-2 oh, yeah. at this point. Like, sure. There's no debate. Yep. He has just been absolutely fantastic. And for Curry to have a guy like that who can handle the ball, facilitate for himself and others, honestly. I know he's only averaging half assist per, per game in this series, but that's yeah. because he's been the shot taker and the shot maker. Mm-hmm. So that's by design. But if you ask him to handle the ball and facilitate the offense, he could. Like in Oklahoma City, like he had a few seasons of five and a half plus assists, I think. Mm-hmm. Like he's... He's perfectly capable of doing that. Yep. Um, so he, I think you need to ride him for the duration of this series. And then you also hope that Clay Thompson can get a little bit more volume mm-hmm. in terms of his shooting. Because 18 points is all fine and well. But when you consider it's taking him 40 minutes to get there, that's a little bit low. Especially when Curry isn't contributing as much. Um, so yeah, I'm not as, I'm not as worried as many are. In regards to Curry, but I would like to see Clay, you know, take a load off of Curry a little bit more, mm-hmm. and then I just want to see the entire offense being run through KD yeah. until Curry seems to be ready. Yeah, I mean, in Game One, that's what we saw. You know, KD at thirty-seven, but Clay was twenty-eight on nine of eighteen shooting. He had six threes. So even though you know Steph had eighteen points, only a mm-hmm. one three, but. Durant and Thompson really carried that team. You got a couple random threes from Nick Young, which I like Matt Moore of the Action Network. Every time Nick Young hits the three, he's like, great, that shouldn't count. It's Nick Young hitting a three at a conference finals. Like, we should acknowledge it happens, but it should not count, which is <laughs> ironically how I feel about Aaron Baines' three-pointers as well. But we we'll, we won't go there again. And Nick has not taken a two-pointer this series. It's all <laughs> really? three. He's, fi- he's oh. 5 of 11 from downtown. That's all the shots he's taken. It's incredible. Yeah, that's uh, it's the most Nick Young stat I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, in game two, Thompson only had 11 shots, eight points, which is just, you know, Durant again in game two, he had 38 points. Like he's, he has been their offense. It was only on 22 shot attempts, like unreal efficiency from him. But yeah, the fact, you know, you, you just haven't gotten much from Draymond offensively as a scorer, right. at least. I mean, he's got 15 assists so far in the series. Um you're getting like a couple points out of Iggy, David West, Nick Young, Sean Livingston, but there there just isn't that much. And this is what, you know, we said this going into the series too. Like the Rockets' depth, as we saw in game one, if they're not hitting shots, the Warriors are going to win this game. But because they have so many guys who can get hot, like we saw in game two with Ariza and Tucker and Gordon. You know, they have more margin for error than a Warriors team where really if at least two of the three of Durant, Curry, and Thompson aren't like 
absolutely cooking, you know, we we see what happens. Like game two is what happens. Durant was cooking, no one else was. So do I expect Trevor Ariza and PJ Tucker to shoot fifteen of eighteen combined again? No. <laughs> absolutely not. But, you know, could I see Eric Gordon hitting six threes again? Yeah, sure. Could I see you know, James Harden was only again three of fifteen from three point range in game two. He he was I mean, especially in the first quarter of game one, he came out firing those step back threes and was just not even touching rim. You know, he was five of nine from three point range in game one. So as as well as the supporting cast played in game two, Harden could be better. So, you mm. know, I think we're going to see both of those normalize. And Chris Paul's been, you know, he's been, like, sneaky really good in this series so far. Well, oh, I, I don't even think it's been sneaky. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But, I, just, I mean, like, under the radar, I guess. Yeah, a little bit. That's because all the focus has been on Harden. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny because you started talking about the Golden State and, you know, they hadn't gotten as much from X amount of people. You know, this is... You know how I know this series is just so much more high caliber and high quality? We're talking about the Golden State Warriors not making as many shots as, as we anticipate, but they're averaging 112 points on a true shooting percentage of 60 Yeah, this series. like Those are elite numbers, and we're going like, uh, that's okay, I guess. Right. Because we expect more. Yeah. Well, they could do better. Like, Steph has a true but shooting the, percentage of right. 48. But that's insane, though. Yeah, I mean, when yeah. you think about it, right? That's that just that proves once again that this series, in terms of the quality of the players on the court, is just out of this world. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing I've seen so far in this series. Like, I know neither game has been particularly close, or at least like the final score was not particularly right. close. You know, game one was close for a while, and game two. The Rockets really blew it open in the end, but it was at least, like, the Warriors always, they were, like, just lingering. Like, especially in the fourth quarter, they got it down to, a, like, 10 or 11, and you're like, uh-oh. Yeah. You know, Steph hit his first three of the game, and you're like, oh, boy, here it comes. Here it comes. Here it comes the comeback. Here comes the, like, 15-0 run that the Warriors <laughs> do. Like, I think that, if anything, is what makes this series so fun, is, like, both of these teams can just go on these deluges where, like, Three minutes later, a 15-point lead is wiped out. Whereas, like, Cleveland, I guess unless LeBron is doing that personally, I just don't get... I get the sense when Boston's up eight, like, there's just no coming back from that. Yeah. No, it seems like that buffer is more secure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And here it's just the, the wild, wild west. Really. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, more. it seems like... At this point, the Rockets have realized they can't stop KD. You know, Ariza yeah. got into foul, like, major foul trouble immediately in game one. Five five fouls, like, what, early, early in the third, third or something? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it seems like their plan now is like, all right, KD's going to cook us. Let's make sure we're, we stay glued to Curry and Thompson. Mm. Uh, you know, let KD get his, basically. And then make sure the other two guys don't beat you. So if that's you're, a dangerous strategy, though. I know. So if you're Steve Kerr, are you making any major adjustments, or are you just saying like, "All right, <laughs> do that three more times"? I'm gonna go to KD and say, "You know what? 
I want you to average 45. <laughs> like, aim for 45. Lord knows you're efficient enough to the, to the point where I trust you. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> go for 45. Uh, look, Curry and, and Tops, they're not going to be net negatives. Like, you, you're not going to see Curry, like, wrap up this series averaging, like, nine points. Same mm-hmm. can be said for Clay. So they are going to get certain numbers. The question is all about efficiency. Mm-hmm. Like, are those numbers going to be efficient? I think Clay will on some level bounce back a little bit like he's still shooting 42 from free it's not like it's bad like his true shooting percentage is is almost 59 like that's a good number yeah it's just because it's clay you kind of figure oh you know it should be a little bit higher Mm -hmm. but if he can just up his production slightly that's a huge get yeah and curry with the home court advantage as i talked about before Mm -hmm. is going to bounce back a little bit even if he's not going to be 100 percent I mean, 65% Curry is still damn good. Yeah. I mean, that's that's still an all-star caliber player, so you can't take that away. What I would look at is, you mentioned Draymond. Mm-hmm. I hadn't even realized how bad he'd been scoring-wise. Like he, And that's because whenever I watch the games, I don't ever expect Draymond to be like a point man. Mm-hmm. Like a guy, or a point generator. I mm-hmm. kind of just look at him as the engine who passes and defends and rebounds and all that. But you're right, I mean... Scoring five and a half points in thirty-seven minutes a game—that's actually a pretty big negative in in on the offensive side. So you need to have him get a little bit more involved scoring-wise. I don't think you can expect a lot more out of Icky. Oh my God! I can't believe I'm pr- I'm proposing this, but should should you unleash Nick Young? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh man! I mean, or maybe Jordan Bell. Yeah, I know. I'm surprised we haven't seen more of him just because Steve Kerr made it sound like he was going to get a little bit more burn. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you could go right. with like a Quinn Cook. Like he was playing well in Curry's absence he late was. in the season. But yeah. it does, I mean, if the big three, not counting Draymond, but if Durant, Curry, and Thompson, if only one of those guys is going off, it does feel like they're going to need more scoring help from someone. I'm not mm. saying it needs to be, <laughs> doesn't necessarily need to be Quinn Cook or Nick Young. Like maybe just Iggy hits a couple open threes or Draymond. I mean, you know, that's not, Draymond is, he's like much more inclined to just have an all around impact rather than put up 30, but he is capable right. of having those random big scoring nights. So it wouldn't totally shock me if, you know, as you said, coming back to Oracle, like I, I expect all of these guys to play better outside of KD because it's hard to it's hard to play better than KD has been so far. But even you know he had five turnovers in game two. He came out after the game and was like, "I can't start the game like that. You know, I I need to be more careful with the ball." Um, mm. And Kerr said that you know I think they had seven turnovers in the first quarter of game two, and they were <laughs> yeah. like, "Oh, after seven. we win, yeah, right." So yeah, at the in the like the first to second quarter interview he's like well this always happens we win a game and then we get really sloppy with the ball so yep. you know these these guys have now had four ga- or th- they'll have three days to like stew over this loss mm-hmm. um and really like they did what they had to do you know yeah sure they would have loved to steal both it in houston come home win three and four and then just call it a sweep but like that wasn't going to happen houston's a really good team this was always the series felt destined to go at least six, if not seven, but they stole home court advantage. Now they just mm-hmm. need to hold home court 
for those, you know, games three, four, and six, and they're going to win this series. So it doesn't seem like there's that much panic among Warriors fans yet, uh, or the Warriors players and coaches and whatever. I think if the Rockets win game three, then we start to talk about, uh uh-oh. Or game four. Just if if they just get a split in Golden State. Yeah. I think game three would be psychologically more... Um, I, you know, I think I think I think they're beyond that though. The psychological aspect. I think these guys, yeah. lot, you know, Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, James Harden. I think they're beyond that now. Yeah, you're probably. I right. think that's. That, I think that's more of a question for like the younger players. Yeah, those guys now. I just. I think they're so locked into their routines and how things are done. I don't think they. They think about it that that way at all. It's just about next game, next mm-hmm. bucket, next possession. I think they're so locked in. Like you heard that that James had never been that locked in before before this series. Like he was just completely focused on on this matchup specifically. Yeah. So I I, I think it's it's different. What I will say is Chris Paul is going to be the X factor for this one. Yeah. Yep. I mean, there's no two ways about it. He's going to run the show in Golden State. And if he has a great game and Harden can feed off of that mm-hmm. and the shooters can feed off of that and mm-hmm. Eric Gordon can provide yet another game off the bench, he's been good this series. I mean, that's game three is right there for the taking. Yeah. It is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw what happened with Chris Paul. Like, Harden was really. You know, he was sick or whatever uh, against the Jazz that one game, and Chris Paul just went absolutely nuclear with, like, 41 points. Oh, the points. 41? Yeah, 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 and 10 assists, zero turnovers. So he does have that potential. It seems like both him and Harden have been picking on Curry defensively, too. They've yep. really been tar- trying to target. Like, they know the Warriors are going to switch, so they've been trying to get switched onto Curry and then just go right at him, which... Also has the ben- the added benefit of tiring him out if you're making him play defense, too. They're not the first team to try this strategy, but when you have two future Hall of Famers in your backcourt, it's you know probably more effective than mm. when you're going at him with you know a George Hill. Pat Beverly or something. Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. So, right. No, it, no, it is. I mean, Curry right now, is that what is really that the, the discussion we should be having is... How much should we fear Curry in in terms of defense? Like because if he's not moving all that well, mm-hmm. like fine, he can give us sixty sixty five percent of who he is offensively. Mm-hmm. Now that's fine, but if he can only give you like twenty percent of who he used to be defensively, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I mean, agree. He's a guy who usually picks up a lot of steals as well. Right. So, I, I mean, yeah, to his credit, he is averaging two steals this series, but if he's at being attacked on multiple plays and the mm. possession count against him rises and he just can't do anything to to affect it positively, like, what do you do? Like, you have Draymond, I guess, rotate over, but that's going to put him in foul trouble at some point because, hey, it's James Harden. Right. And you need, I mean, you need Draymond on the court. Like, Oh, yeah. He, I mean... Assuming he doesn't do anything stupid and reckless and gets a flagrant or gets ejected or whatever, which he seems like he was trying, he was flirting with that. On, oh, he was in game two. Like he's yeah. he may be lucky that he didn't get ejected at least, but 
you know, you can always try to goad him into it. Um, the thing from the Rockets' perspective I want to talk about a bit more, mm. they are basically going with a seven-man rotation at this point. I mean, you get a little bit of Luke Mbamute in there, but otherwise it's like the five starters, Ariza, Tucker, Capella, Paul, and Harden. You got Eric Gordon off the bench playing 30-plus minutes. You got Gerald Green coming in. You know, I think he was he was 15 minutes in Game 2. He had 17 in Game 1. Mbamute played more in Game 1 than he did in Game 2. But, you know, basically a 7- to 8-man rotation. Right. As this series goes on, do you think they're running the risk of fatigue? No, not, not necessarily fatigue, but I think they're wasting a weapon in Ryan Anderson. I know mm-hmm. that he's not defensively great, but mm-hmm. the way that he can just stretch that cord, and he's also not the worst rebounder in human history, which is something. <laughs> but, I mean, you need more out of him. You need to utilize that shooting stroke. You need to utilize him being able to shoot threes from you know five feet beyond the three-point line mm-hmm. I, I i think you you have to kind of give him that chance because if you put too much pressure pressure on Ariza and tucker to make threes consistently as well as baamute theoretically i mean i just don't think that pans out baamute defensively has been stellar but like he's one of it one of 11 i think for for, for the whole series that yep. you need that's you need that little bit of a an ass kicker that backbreaker coming yeah. in from an offensive standpoint. I think Ryan always is that guy. Yeah, I think the question is, who do you play him against? Because, like, if you if he's against the Hamptons... Kevon Looney? Yeah, like, if he's against the Hamptons 5, he's going to be eaten alive. But I guess right. if, like, David West is out there or, or Looney's out there... I mean, Looney's averaged, what, 18 minutes a game for the series. Yeah. So, so you, yeah, so yeah, there's, just, a, there's an opening. Right, buy him some minutes there. But right. basically match minutes. Like, anytime you see those guys coming in, you can say Anderson yeah. is... And whenever you see Sacha Pachulik check oh. in, you go, oh, <laughs> Ryan, right now. Dude. Right like, now. So, at the end of game two, they were up, like, 25 points with four minutes left. Zaza comes in the game, and Mike D'Antoni still had starters in. Yeah, I didn't... What the sure. hell? Yeah. He's playing with fire, man. I, I don't know what he was trying to do there. It seemed like he was channeling his inner tips. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he's done this forever, but, you know, and maybe he's thinking, all right, we've got four days off, basically. You know, we're, we're playing, what is it? They played, when, yeah, they played yeah. Wednesday and now but we don't, Sunday. But don't risk injuries. I mean. uh, yeah, right? Especially with Zaza. Yeah. Like, yeah, Zaza no. is a walking curse, especially in the Western Conference <laughs> Finals. Like, did he not learn anything from what co- happened yeah. to Kawhi Leonard last year? Like, yeah, did- I, I think that was a gamble, too. Yeah. I, I don't want to see him do that again if they get up sizable. Um, so, for for the Warriors in mm-hmm. Game 3, mm-hmm. screw the Hampton 5. Interesting. I, 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 I want to see Bell start at center. Ooh. Interesting. And I w- Bell at center, Dre at the four, KD at the three, Clay two, Curry one. Hmm. I just want to see what that lineup can do. Yeah. Because Bell is an epic shot blocker. He is also a surprisingly good passer. He can score. I mean, it's he's not like he's inept at scoring the basketball. He can rebound. Like he's he is multifaceted. Mm-hmm. And I guess Curry's keeping him out there because he's a rookie and he's sort of like. 
you know, looking at him going, do you really understand this moment? Mm-hmm. I think. But maybe that plays to an advantage. We're, we're seeing Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown in Boston right now. I think they're so young that them being not entirely appreciative of the moment yeah. is playing to their strength. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a, that's a major positive for Boston. Yeah. So why not try the same? Like, sometimes having a young kid in there who doesn't really have the perspective of what the hell is going on. That sounded a lot harsher than I meant it to be. Mm-hmm. But like having a young kid in there going, you know what, I'm, I'm not really faced by the moment because I don't really understand the, the magnitude of it. That's an asset. Yeah. Like he'll just play hard. Right. Hey, I got to earn minutes. And he didn't play at all in game one. Right. Yeah. I, I, so I, I want to see Kurt switch it up. Not because like they're struggling or anything. I just I think it would provide them some better context. And especially if you there as I mentioned before, if Houston's attacking Curry specifically mm-hmm. and he can't hang on to the guards, mm-hmm. instead of having Draymond being the guy who has to rotate over, like make it Jordan Bell, mm-hmm. who's who's a, an elite shot blocker. Yeah. Yeah. Why I mean, not? It's a it's a fair point. Like we didn't expect to see I mean, I might just be speaking for me, but, like, I didn't expect to see the Hamptons 5 start game one. Like, I, I yeah. thought he was going to save that, you know, for, you know, as a as the change-up card. Like, if Houston wins a game, then you can throw that at them. Because now, it's you're right, Mort, like, that is their trump card. And they played it, and they got blown off the floor in game two. Like, I'm, mm. I'm trying to find the exact... Um, I, th- I know they were a minus 17 with the Hamptons 5 on the court, but I'm trying to find like the exact net rating. I think it was like a minus 20 or something. Like It, it was very... It, it was not good. And it does beg the question, like, all right, well, if that happens again, like, you know, mm. that that was your best lineup. Like, that, that lineup had a net rating of like almost 41 in the second round. So... What, yeah, what is the play? I think you might be right. I think it, either Jordan Bell or Looney or just... Oh, no, Rick. not Looney. Not Looney. I th- honestly, I think that's been that's the weirdest part of this series. Kevon Looney playing 18 minutes a game. Mm. I don't get it. <laughs> what does he provide that Jordan Bell does not? I think the only thing was... I saw... I forget. I want to say it was like an athletic story. Um, and it was about how like Jordan Bell got off to such a good start to the season and you know everyone made fun of the Bulls and blah 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 and then he hurt his ankle I think missed some time came back and really struggled and like then KD had to sit down with him and be like this is just how it goes in the NBA like some you know you you can never get too high never get too low you think you have the game figured out and then the game comes and humbles you so it seems like the the guy that we saw in you know, November and December, who was dominating, and we thought, like, oh, maybe he's going to be the full-time starting center. Like, Zaza was out for a little bit. Right. Um, it just seems like maybe, like, mentally or psychologically, he's just not at that point where he was early in the year. Well, you know how you turn that around? <laughs> <laughs> Dominate in the Western Conference Finals. By playing him. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like actually encouraging. Look, if the guy is down because, oh, I'm not getting the minutes, I'm not getting the opportunity. Look, imagine Steve Kerr coming over to him and go, you know what? I'm going to give you a starting position for tonight in the Western Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. Like, even if he doesn't fully recognize the moment, mm-hmm. like, that's a big, that's a big vote of confidence. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's that kind of treatment. I think her would also like. I I don't think that Bell winds up starting in game three. Yeah. But it wouldn't surprise me if Kerr did something similar. Like, hey, here's a guy we haven't talked about who hasn't played starting. I mean, I could totally see that happening. And and it would just be so great for his confidence because in the end, it's about confidence. Yeah. I think it would be, at least if nothing else, it would be a nice change of pace for them. But, I mean, it's going to be... I mean, game three is really shaping up to be it's not like a winner go home game obviously for either team because mm. you know i still think this series is going at least six but it's going to say a lot about which team you know has the momentum moving forward like if the warriors come back bounce back from that game to blow out blow them out in game three it's like all right our the warriors mojo is back if houston comes out and even if they steal a close game and they go up 2-1 in the series, yeah, I know, you know, they're still the Warriors. They, they're they used to coming. <laughs> they've, they've overcome those deficits before. Uh, but they've never, as uh, this this time would be the first time since they've gotten Kevin Durant that they've lost two games in a playoff series. They've had three sweeps and they've had three five-game series. So if they drop another game, they're going to be in uncharted territory. Now you have four all-stars mm-hmm. still. You know, you're, you're maybe not sweating it that much. But if Curry looks off still in game three, it's going to start raising some questions. So it's it's really shaping up to be a pivotal game either way. Um, I mean, Sunday cannot get here soon enough. Yeah. I would agree that this these NBA finals have been highly entertaining. <laughs> and switching over to like the the real NBA finals, like in, in, let's not project who's gonna get there. Uh huh. Who do you want to see there? Oh, I see Warriors Boston. I'm Rockets Boston, just because. That's fair. Like we haven't seen that. Yeah, that's fair. I I think. I don't think Boston could beat the Warriors. I think Boston could beat the Rockets, and I can't deal with Boston winning the title this year. So I want... I, Boston fans annoy me more than Warriors fans. <laughs> that's that's what it boils down to. Oh, man. Could you imagine the takes if Boston won the finals this year? No. Without that, Kyrie that's and, what I'm and saying. Gordon Hayward? Yeah. yeah. I would oh, have to log off God. Twitter for a month. I would just Every time I'd log yep. on, I'd just throw my computer. <laughs> Chris Chris Mannix would write like a seven thousand word essay the night of. Oh my god! All right. Yeah. Well, more we are gonna look forward, and we'll have plenty more coverage about the conference finals as they get back underway. In the meantime, everyone, please follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. We're gonna have a lot of other great stuff coming out, especially with the draft. Uh, we're gonna have some good draft content coming out over the coming days and weeks as well. So. Follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio, so give us a follow as well. You can also find us on iTunes, so please subscribe, download, leave some five-star reviews. We'd love any feedback. And we're now being hosted on the Almighty Baller Podcast Network, so check them out on Twitter at AlmightyCasts. Until next time, I'm Brian Taporic, and I was joined, as always, by Morton Jensen. Have a good one, Mort. You too, Brian. 
Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Clearance. 